If you like this podcast, check out Studio Red's amazing lineup of podcasts at StudioRedMedia.com. Welcome to QT with RT. I'm Ryan. I'm Todd. And today we're talking about cinematography. 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 Like photography, but with cinema. Mm. Moving pictures. So we have been on a little run here uh-huh. over the last couple of weeks. Well, two weeks. We talked about movie scores. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about editing. Mm-hmm. This week we're going to talk about cinematography. So I liked the way we broke it down last time, some of our favorite cinematography out there. Yeah. How we can kind of talk about that first, like some of our favorite movies with good cinematography. What we like about cinematography as far as just a viewer of a movie, as an audience member, what stuff like how does it affect our ability to enjoy or not enjoy the movie. And then maybe some tips and tricks since we both have been behind a camera over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, to explain it to people, because I think some people are listening might know obviously what cinematography is. I hope most of you know, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I think a lot of people think um, it's like placement of the camera or something like that, but that's not what cinematography is. It's a much deeper layer. It's obviously um, what we're seeing, you know, and that entitled entails more than simply. The locate, you know, the the angle that we're seeing that from. Sure. That yeah, includes let's... light. That includes depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could just quickly explain like what um, the job of the cinematographer is. Yeah. So it's not simply just setting up a camera and shooting yeah. a landscape. So yeah, cinematographer, also sometimes known as the director of photography, mm-hmm. DP, DP for short. Uh, that person is in charge of the camera department on a film shoot. That person is in charge of the camera team. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would be the camera operators, the assistant camera operators, the DIT, all the people that work with cameras. Yeah. Guy that's doing the slate, second ACs. And then they are also in charge of the grip and electric department, yeah. oftentimes called G&E for short. G&E, and the, and the grip and electric department, electric is the people who put up all the lights yeah. and run all the power to the lights. Mm-hmm. And the grip team is the one that does all the rigging of the light modifiers, the things that make the lights look pretty, whether that's flagging the light, like making, like basically creating shadows in the light or silks or diffusion or reflection, things to soften the light or make the light more punchy, basically just like modifying the light. Those are the general, and then the grips also will push around the dolly and some of the Steadicam stuff and like moving the camera also kind of falls under the cinematographer. So basically, from those three departments, you kind of get a general idea of what the DP does. Uh, she will decide a lot of times. Or he. <laughs> or he. They. <laughs> uh, uh, she will decide uh, lenses, camera, camera placement a lot of times, as well as the main thing more than it, a lot of the camera stuff, like the technical side of cameras is decided by the DP, but a lot of the bl- the framing is more actually a lot of times more done by the director. But then the lighting and exposure part, uh, that is definitely the DP. And especially the the minutia of the details. Yeah. The director might say, hey, it's a, I want some nice light coming through the window because it's the, supposed to be in the middle of the afternoon. But then the DP is the one that decides what nice light coming through the window means. Yeah. And is going to decide how much light, where the light source is, how, what the light source is. Is it one big, huge light? Is it three smaller lights? 
um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What's the color of the light? You know, all that's going to be more decided by the DP because most directors either don't have time or don't know unless, enough. Unless you're David Fincher because there's a story that uh, on Gone Girl, Ben Affleck changed the uh, cut, like the lighting of the, the lens just like just barely like and he made a bet with the DP that uh, Fincher wouldn't notice. And Fincher, as soon as he got to him, he said, why do the cameras look a little dark? <laughs> they just changed the ring like just by like a fraction. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Fincher, Fincher's like a crazy perfectionist. Yep. So, and then, yeah, no, in some aspects, um, the DP is also there like on a big sh- film shoot and even smaller shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gets to the point where it's just hard for the person who knows what they want, hopefully the director, uh, to manage and make sure that that thing that they're wanting is consistently being done. Absolutely. Basically just checking everything yeah. all the way through. Like if you're adjusting the F-stop or the T-stop on a camera, like what probably um, Affleck changed, uh, it's like that's easy for that to get bumped. And it's like you want multiple people making sure, are we still at a 2.4 yeah. on the lens? Are we still at a 2.4 on the lens? Are we still at a 2.4 on the lens? And so that DP is there to kind of make sure that like, Hey, that light seems dimmer. Did somebody bump that, yeah. or does it? Is it did when we put it back to the spot it was in earlier? Is it still where it was before? Because something looks different. So it's like they're also sort of like the um, consistency, yeah. uh, you know, police yeah. to make sure that like the lighting and the cameras are consistent all the way through. Because once you start editing all this stuff together, you might be editing scenes that you shot over three days, but yeah. they only take a minute long in the movie. And all of a sudden, stuff that was shot on the third day doesn't match the stuff you shot on the first day. And it's really noticeable when it's in a minute-long conversation versus three days. So that's what the DP does or cinematographer. Yeah. Cinematographer, if you're snooty. DP, if you're if you're cool. Right. And depending, because like uh, Roger Deakin is, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about him. I'm sure probably one of the greatest uh, DPs of all time. But... Sometimes if he's on a Coen Brothers movie, he knows exactly what they want. He usually never has like creative yeah. freedoms. Well, they know exactly. They, what they know want. exactly what and they, they want. tell him exactly. Or but if he's on a, uh, you know, Skyfall, for Skyfall instance. exactly. He got to do whatever he wants, which is what he should have won an Oscar for, and which in my mind is one of the most beautiful shot films of all time. The movie's not that great, but shot wise, oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. But um, so they're going to like, you know, not only capture beautiful moments, but they're going to capture, you know, sometimes the feel and, you know, you shoot that the way a camera moving or, um, you know, the slow pan in or, or the certain lighting yeah. in one section. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, using the camera to tell a story yeah. is the difference between a good cinema, a great cinematographer and a good cinematographer. Okay. A good cinematographer understands lighting, understands cameras, understands angles and lenses, and you know, and it, and is a good job, does a good job at managing and being that quality control police, yeah. like I was saying earlier. But a great cinematographer then takes all of that information and then makes decisions and helps the director tell a story using the camera. In the same way that I was talking about last week with the editor, punching in on a close up makes us feel uncomfortable. Well, you don't have that close up if the DP doesn't go and film it. Yeah. And so the DP is like, "Hey, why don't we get a little closer because this person feels uncomfortable right now? Why don't we move the camera like two feet closer and be like really, really close? Yeah. Or why don't we go on a a wider lens so it feels more 
like they're lonely and they're by themselves and we see more of the surroundings or why don't we go on a tight lens so it seems like really, really claustrophobic. You know, like they start sharing ideas and giving input based off of like what cameras and lenses and lighting, how that affects us and yeah. our and our mood and our emotions. So um, personally, I think the best way for a DP and a director to work together is that the director actually knows all that stuff themselves too. Yeah. I feel like if you're a director... It's your responsibility to know that stuff. Um, if you don't, I think then you need to go learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think uh, it's like James Cameron. They always say that he knows how to do everything. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a narcissist and he's crazy, but he legitimately knows how to like grip, how to gaff, how to you know. Yeah, he came, learned all those things. Right, he came through the exactly. the ladder like everybody yeah. else, and he he did art department. He did a bunch of stuff before he went and start directing yeah. i mean it's 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 at the end of the day like you're the leader of your crew yeah as a director and so to be able to like know or empathize with someone's like job and work and also yeah. like know because like that's but, the thing they could be doing something and if you have no clue what they're doing you can't appreciate it you can't appreciate but it. I, but i do think that there are there's, I think you should always have a general idea of what you're asking people but there's going to be certain jobs that you don't right. know how to do and that's fine um, but I like if you don't know how to like do hair right. for your main big, actress, yeah. that's fine. You yeah. don't need to know that as a director. Just just make sure you know how long it takes and have a good understanding of it, and be appreciative of like asking somebody to do something quick that you normally takes them an hour and thirty minutes, and understand like why that's a big deal to them, and if they do it and say yes and agree yeah. and are nice about it, how big of a favor they're doing you. Yeah, basically know enough so you can appreciate when you're being a jerk. And compensate it by being friendly and polite and nice about it. Uh, but I think one of those areas where directors, I really feel like, and this is from DPing with other directors and then working with DPs, like I do think one area that directors should be just as well versed on as the person who's doing it is camera and lighting. Right. Uh, especially camera. So, like, I think like angles and lenses. And like understanding all that stuff, I think is really, really important. Just in the same way that you should know how actors, what their process is and what it means. Like you can't tell, you can't properly direct and work with actors if you don't understand what it means to be an actor. And I don't think you can really work as well as possible. You can't get the best out of working with a DP if you don't better understand their process and what they're actually doing. Yeah. Do you need to... Do you need to understand how to, like, I don't think you need to for the gaffer. Like, do you need to understand how to set up a 12K? No, you no. don't. But you should know the difference between a 12K and a 5K and a 2K. Yeah. And if you don't, that's like a problem. Yeah. You know, like you should you should have this general understanding of lighting, lenses, and acting, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, that was uh, Jordan Peele. He was talking about that in Get Out. Like, what is the biggest, uh, he was in an interview, and they said, like, what is the biggest thing you learned as a director? And he said, uh, that lenses, different lenses mean different things. Yeah. Have different emotions. Yeah. Um, so, like, oftentimes, you know, if you are you watch a Wes Anderson movie compared to a David Fincher movie or a Coen Brothers movie or something, you know, there's just a different feel. Right. Because they're using those as story teller, you know, yeah. like. Right, as tools. As in their, tools, In exactly. their storytelling. Yeah, yeah, and they, they all treat those differently. And you can see their, their, voice their mm -hmm. style their yeah. their own personal approach to filmmaking yeah um in the way i mean and um uh tarantino's the same way you know it's like all those guys like they have 
a style. Yeah. And that style is represented in the camera work. And people could say, well, that's the DP. And I'm like, no, that's the director telling the DP what they want. <laughs> yeah. And that's why the director needs to know. Yeah. You know, like, and it shouldn't be the DP, in my opinion, trying to make those decisions. That being said, there are a lot of times where the DP does make that decision. Yeah. And I think probably it's probably 50 50 would be my guess, maybe even worse. Yeah. Uh, where the directors came from acting, like Jordan Peele, or they came from production, or they're a screenwriter. Or whatever, and they actually don't have the experience of knowing what lenses do, and each lens telling a, telling a different story. So uh, we're totally off track of what we were supposed to talk about next. But I'd say, I guess, if you are a director or you want to direct something, learn about cinematography. It's very important because you're going to work closely with the DP, um, almost more closely. I don't know if really on set if you work clo- more closer with anybody else yeah. other than DP. Because even the actors, they're not in every scene, but the right. DP is there for every single thing. The art director, you work with closely a lot too, but a lot of times they're gone setting up the next set. They're off doing other stuff. They're, or And they kind of can work a little bit more independently where yeah. like the director and the DP are like hand in hand throughout the whole process. So pay attention if you want to be a director. Learn this stuff. Um, so that way you can be a better director working with DP. So there's kind of a rough what DPs do, a little bit of the working relationship. Let's talk about some of our favorite movies as far as the cinematography goes. Right. Um, I, I mentioned that um, it's it not, I don't really, I don't think I like James Bond as a character and as a person, but um, so his stories are never that good. If you want good, like espionage, just go with the Mission Impossible. But uh, <laughs> GoldenEye was great. Goldeneye is a classic, but still, even that, I, I just, there's something, I want to like Bond, but he just ends up being boring, his movies. Are, anyways, the Daniel Craig ones and all of them. So, that, uh, remember that Pierce Brosnan in Goldeneye where he jumps off the dam yeah. to chase, to like get to the helicopter, yeah. or to, oh, to get to the, the plane. plane? yeah. That was all real. Yeah. And they, they cut, the problem is it was all real, and the actor, the stuntman, got into the plane and all that stuff, but in the actual movie, they cut that to yeah. Pierce Brosnan on like a blue screen or yeah, whatever. Yeah, And it's just like devastating. It's like, it's such a great Yeah. Scene. When I saw, heard about that, I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, they talked about- like, So the plane, just so, I'm sure people don't remember the movie. This We're really going off topic now. <laughs> but the plane goes off the runway and it's on yeah. the side of this like cliff up in the Alps almost. Yeah. And it goes off the, and it doesn't have enough speed to like take off. Yeah. So it just goes like straight off the side of the mountain and it's going straight down. And as it's going down, it's building up enough speed then to like not crash and hit into the mountains. So Pierce Brosnan runs off the cliff and jumps, and he f- like skydives down yeah. into the back of the plane. Yeah, and then the plane takes, and then the plane gets enough momentum or yeah. lift so what or happens whatever. Is he was fighting, and the pilot got knocked out, and he got knocked out with the pilot. And the plane's and going. The plane for just him. is going automatically. Uh, and so then he fun. jumps in and then starts flying. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So an actual stuntman yeah. though really did jump off of the cliff and catch up to the plane yeah. and go into the back of the yeah. plane, which is insane. Yeah. That's crazy. The, the digital corridor guys, you know, they do the, yeah. the visual yeah. effects. Well, they've been doing stuntmen. Really. Yeah, I think that's where I that's watched probably it. That's where it's really interesting yeah. because yeah. people, I mean, being a stuntman, you just get paid to get hurt. And so in that movie as well, there's a scene where cars like hitting people off the bridge and like one of the stuntmen, like how the only way he could get the shot was to truly – Get hit, hit by a car. Yeah, like he was able to, like obviously, like 
push himself. Yeah. But, like, you see it, he gets impact with the car going, like, 40 miles per hour into his leg. And then he uses that to flip himself over the... It's <laughs> insane. Bridge. It's crazy. Anyways, so back to Bond. Um, double, or, uh, uh, Skyfall is one of the most beautiful pieces of work. I mean, purely visual. Now, as far as, like, telling the emotion of what's happening in the scene or yeah. how we're supposed to feel, I don't know if he captured that as much. Yeah. But as far as, like, there's shots in Tokyo, there's shots in, like, the Scottish... Highlands, more, you know, it's just, it's beautiful and epic. And he is able, uh, Roger Deakin is able to bring color and, like, vibrance to every shot he takes. Like, he just able to, like, because he knows lights. There's a scene in uh, Prisoners, uh, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal film, um, where it's at and, night. And Roger the, Deakins DP'd that, too. He did. And, uh, and, there's a scene where it's at night, they're in the woods, and it's raining and stuff. And it looks super real. It looks like moonlight and all that stuff. And all he, they said, how are we going to light this scene? And he just came, looked at the scene, and said, you know, put five, you know, like eight AKs or, you know, like the biggest light you can possibly get and just point it straight up. Like, that's all he said. And it turned out beautifully. It looked yeah. great. I mean, he is such a master at knowing exactly how almost like like a scientist who just knows all the ingredients and yeah. concoctions to make whatever he wants. Um, and so, yeah, Skyfall, I think, is the most beautiful, breathtaking movie. I don't know. What what, what is some for you? Um, so I have, I have a long list. So a little backstory on me. Like I came out of college, wanted to be a director. Mm-hmm. I always kind of wanted to be a director. Uh, not always, but like once I, you know, in, in the – origin stories we talk about a little bit but i mean once i knew that i wanted to make movies i knew i wanted to be a director um but they don't let you just come out and immediately start directing weirdly (laughs) enough so um especially when you graduate from barry college so (laughs) um so i got into doing then more camera work um and so then i really kind of fell in love with camera because to me like that's the next closest thing when you're on set to being the director um because you i mean you decide i mean just like editing, yeah, the director might say, cut this to then that, cut this scene to then, cut this take to then that take to then that take. But you're still the one that decides like exactly where you cut. Yeah. And so if the director's like, I want a medium shot, you're still the one that says, put the camera here. Yeah. And I, I enjoy being able to have control, some kind of like where like the work that I'm doing on set actually shows in the in final yeah. image, you know, to be able to say like, I'm the one that decided that we're going to be at like, this slight angle versus this slight angle. Yeah. And even if it's like little details that only I notice, it's still like that's more fun to me than doing paperwork. Yeah. Where like you never see the paperwork, you know, in a final product. Yeah. You know, like that stuff just is what needs to happen to happen to make the thing happen. Yeah. So anyways, um so because of kind of coming up through more of the camera department and then getting into directing later on down the road, uh it's something I've always or at least over the last 10 years is something I've really paid attention to a lot. Um, and I think there is movies that I really like because it's just like beautiful scenery. Um, and then I think there's things that I like because it's actual beautiful cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Fincher's stuff is really good. Yeah. And, yeah. and like the way that they use the camera to tell the story is really well done. Yeah. Social network. Yeah. They, social network is great. Great. Uh, even like, um, uh, Zodiac. Yeah. is really good. 
Um, I mean, Fincher across the board, I think just like really understands all of that. Um, my favorite Roger Deakin movie is actually probably true grit because it's a bunch of natural, um, like natural light type situations. And I'm sure it wasn't, I'm sure he had lights, but it's supposed to look like natural light and the way that he like manages making it look so authentic. Yeah. And yet also like really well lit and it really like the exposure is always just like perfect. And the exposure ratio which is like the difference between the shadows how dark the shadows are to how bright the brightest parts of the scene are yeah like that exposure ratio is always like perfect like it feels like it should be that way mm-hmm. it when you it was like oh i've been in the woods and that's what it feels like it looks like yeah but then it's like done so perfectly to where it's like but that's like the the one out of a hundred times i've been in the woods where like the lighting just looks perfect yeah it's like that's what he has throughout the whole movie um so that's probably one of my favorite deacon's movies um, I also like all the Wes Anderson stuff a lot. Um, probably though, some of my favorites are more of some of the classics. Like I think probably the cinematography I love the most is probably the Godfather. Yeah. The Godfather's use of shadows is just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and <laughs> not to sound like a film snob, but one that like, I feel like was cause we watched it and I was like, wow, this definitely inspired generations of DPs was uh Citizen Kane. Yeah. The scene where she comes on stage and it's the light, you know, you don't see the audience, but you just see the lights and her in the middle. Um, so Citizen Kane's like wife or yeah. second wife or whatever. Um, that scene, I feel like I've seen in so many movies. Yeah. And then the scene where he's, I think writing the review about his wife, his wife. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's low, but you see the ceiling and you see him like, how they're like positioned and the lighting and it's dramatic. That is also like every, if you want to watch a movie that's old movie, but doesn't feel like an old movie feels like a modern movie in a lot of ways. That's almost shot black and white. Citizen Kane is definitely that. Like it's that, that was one that I don't even know the cinematographer's name, but it really, that one stands out to me. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, another one we talked about them with the composers, but, um, uh, like the good, bad, and the ugly, and a fistful of dollars, and all those. But like good, bad, and the ugly has like amazing cinematography yeah. in it. Um, Casablanca. Yeah, Casablanca. I mean, has, so really I think a lot of those really scenes. classic Hollywood yeah. movies sometimes have like beautiful lighting. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as like more modern day stuff, I mean, I think it is kind of a lot of those more independent filmmakers that have gotten big. Um, you know, Tarantino stuff's pretty good. I, I, his stuff doesn't really. His camera. Placement is interesting, but like his lighting is meh, whatever. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah, I, I mean Roger Deakins definitely is my most favorite of all, of them all, but um, I think the ones that I really like are the ones that handle shadows mm-hmm. in such a like delicate and yet perfect way. Yeah. Like they they do something interesting with them, but they don't just throw in shadows to have shadows. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's it's like. It's like you have people who like just copy every. Oh, everybody likes more contrasty images now, so I'm just gonna make this movie darker. Yeah, and it's like, well, that's not. Like we like, we don't want stuff just darker for the yeah. sake of being darker. Yeah, it needs to have some point to it. Cough, cough, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, a, a recent example that had some really great cinematography in it was, um, you know, like Chernobyl. Yeah. Had some pretty good cinematography. Really good cinematography. The scene, because once again, that's where, like, telling, and this 
can also be with the editor, but the cinematographer shot it. The scene where they're all standing on the bridge looking yeah. at the ash, and it's the slow motion. You see the ash coming down, and yeah. it takes you out of the moment a little bit, but in a good way, almost yeah. like a look at this. Yeah. This is snow. You know, people yeah. feel like it's that magical moment of snow. As you know, it's actually radiation. But it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think like a silhouette's like a perfect yeah. example. Like, oh, uh, what Star is Born has great yeah. cinematography in great it. Cinematography. We were talking about that with editing too, I think, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I watched that recently. Like the cinematography. We, we talked off mic about it. But, oh, okay. Yeah. The cinematography on uh, Star is Born is awesome it's really good it's so good um, and uh, like and uh, one of the things that you know new tools always come out all the time which is a cool thing probably like as far as like technological advancements in the film industry the most recent and exciting thing has been in lighting yeah for sure the cost of these huge lights have gone drastically down all these cool led lights are actually bright enough now to use now the problem then is like everybody and their brother is now just blasting people with colors. <laughs> yeah. And it's so obvious, yeah. you know? And I feel like that's where it's like people, you almost have two types of cinematographers. You have one who just does stuff because it looks cool. Yeah. And then you have stuff, people who do stuff because it makes sense and then they make it look cool. Yeah. Um, and so it's like silhouettes is a great example where somebody's like, let's just silhouette them to be interesting. No, let's silhouette them on, for a purpose. Yeah. For a reason, you know? Um, and I think Star is Born is a great example of where they've used color well. Yeah. Like when they're, there's a lot of interesting colors, but it always makes sense. Yeah. And it's usually like the colors are crazy when he's on stage. Well, if you've ever been to a rock concert, country, big rock country kind of show, there's going to be a ton of stage lights going all over the place. So it's like it's delicately done, it makes sense, and it looks cool. Yeah. Versus like Blade Runner, which was a Roger Deakins movie, and he did finally win an Oscar for it. To me, that was like super boring because it's yeah. like he would walk into an all red room that was really just red for the sake of being red. Yeah. I mean, and it looked cool, but like, why? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Godfather and its shadows, you know, like the fact you can never see the Godfather's eyes because yeah. they did like a top down light. Like at this point, that's an example so iconic that it's like overused. Yeah. But it's like a cool idea that like we're not even going to show you the villain's eyes because the mob is all about secrecy and yeah. who's really the mob boss and trying to catch this elusive character yeah. and you don't see the eyes of the the head you know the fa- the family boss Corleone yeah yeah so i don't know i think well and and spoiler in Godfather 2 the the shot of Michael sitting there and he's kind of like you see a silhouette as his as his cousin goes out on the boat his brother or his brother his brother sorry uh and that iconic scene where it's like you could lighten it, and it would just look like he's sitting in his living room. But it it is this, you know, he's living in the shadow of his choice. Yeah. In that moment, you know, and he knows what's happening, and yeah. he's gone to the dark time. Yeah, yeah. Great. and that kind of intentionalness uh, is just amazing. It's you know incredible. Um, and I, you know, I think that's where you know we keep using Marvel as kind of in Disney and some of the stuff they do is more like the commercialized version of this. Is like I feel like they they have good like lighting and interesting lighting, but I don't feel like their lighting oftentimes like really tells that dramatic of a story. It's just like oh, this is a darker scene, so let's make it darker. The emotions are darker, you know, but like really kind of taking it to that next level where everything's like really intentional to the story. That's where people like Wes Anderson. 
you know, and people like Roger Deakins and people like the Cohen, the Cohen brothers oftentimes have some amazing cinematography yeah. throughout all their, and Roger Deakins is the one shooting it. But I also think it's that collaboration of them saying this matters to us. Yeah. So we're going to spend the time to make it good yeah. and even like think about it enough in advance to make sure it, we know what we're doing when we get there. Yeah. Um, versus, well, the scene is Tony and he's, upset so it's gonna be at nighttime and there's gonna be one lamp on and it's gonna be more moody and it's like well cool that works but it's not like fincher level yeah thought process yeah you know um and so i think to me like when i really see that somebody really put their heart and soul into like trying to like just make it just right and perfect tied with somebody who has the technical know-how and skills to actually make it look pretty too yeah but they're not just throwing pretty at you for the sake of pretty um that to me is like yes, yeah. This is a great. This was really well shot. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, cinematography that I really love was Arrival. Um, yeah, that was good. And like just the scene with the aliens and having that like big long black kind of yeah. always, but then this light. Yeah, I mean just everything about that. And and that guy was the uh, he did La La Land as well, I think. Um, same cinematographer, I think. No, I think he did, because uh, 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 Whiplash also has really good cinematography. Yeah, because uh, I know the guy who did Arrival. He was the first, uh, like, was he one of the first black uh, cinematographers to be nominated? Yeah, because of Arrival. And so that's why I was thinking he was in La La Land. No, the La La Land guy is a is a European white European dude. Okay. Um, but uh, that guy, what is his name? I'm. Go look it up real fast. Anyways, um, but it the cinematography. Bradford Young is his name. Bradford Young. Yeah, Bradford Young, and he also did Solo and Selma. <sighs> Selma is interesting. That's a boring movie, but it's very very slow. But there are some really good uh, moments in that that really um, are just really powerful. But anyway, with Arrival, you know the use of movement with the cameras and. Uh, Walking with Amy Adams as yeah. she's, you know, kind of. Yep. It's just, it, it's great. Yeah. 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 So, also, Sicario's. Yeah, Sicario's very That's good. Roger Deakins as well, but. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Roger Deakins definitely, like, has some of the best stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but then. Oh, her has really good. Yeah, it does. Like, the, the scene where he's sitting there and that giant, like, owl is on the, the screen behind him. And it's like coming down, and it looks like it's like gonna oh, grab yeah. him. You know, it's like in this moment, and then also the moment where he's talking with Sam. Uh, his uh, is it Sam? Uh, uh, it, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, and she's like, you know, I, I'm beyond. I'm moving on, yeah. and and you see the dust kind of slowly falling on the bed, and like yeah. just like this, it's it's real type, you yeah. know, out of body experience. Yeah, and it's, it's great. It's really interesting. Yeah, and so, I mean, I feel like a lot of the good cinematography usually is in the more independent films. Yeah. Um, That's where they definitely are. Independent is you have room to experiment. Yeah. And to yeah, and I don't really know why. The, I mean, maybe the blockbuster movies are just, there's such a big machine that it's hard to figure it out. Or if it's just hard to be intentional, you know, because stuff is constantly changing. And yeah. the studio is constantly giving interjections, or the actors constantly. I'm not. I don't want to do this scene this way. I want to do this, and it's like, well, I just changed all the DP's yeah. work. Yeah, and then maybe they have to be a little bit more cookie cutter with it. Well, I mean, think about Spielberg, Nolan. 
you know, those guys were big blockbuster, you know, but they did kind of experiment a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and I would say like Nolan and Spielberg. Because yeah. um, um, Wally Fitzer did Nolan and stuff. Yeah. And Inception. Yeah. I mean, to be able to do this stuff, because that's another thing, it's learning how to shoot with green screen or learning how to shoot and have these, like that's that's hard. Yeah. I mean, Avatar was crazy what they did yeah. with that. Yeah. Especially 3D cinematography. Yeah. Like that's got to be like a next level, like yeah. being like, all right, I I don't even know what goes in that because I've never learned how right. to do that. Right. So, yeah, I I feel like a couple of those guys have been able to still have a style and yeah. make it work. Weirdly enough, those styles almost become then like the standard that all the other blockbusters right. follow to yep. where it doesn't feel like a style anymore. It just feels like mainstream, which is kind of interesting, you know, because at like one point stuff there was no such thing as the Spielberg wonder or the push in on the person <laughs> yeah. staring off into the distance yeah. you know and he doesn't really do that anymore yeah he doesn't I feel like his cinematography was way more interesting when he was younger yeah I feel like as he's gotten older his cinematography but like Lincoln was really well done but I do feel like a lot of times he had shadows in there just for the sake of shadows where like the new going, thing going back to Jaws <laughs> which you still haven't watched I bet but I haven't watched the one I promised to watch either so uh I mean it has some really good cinematography in right. that um you know, so I feel like sometimes their earlier work almost has better stuff than their later stuff. And I don't know if they just don't care as much when they like later and they're like, ah, I'm established. Who cares? Yeah. Um, or if it's just like at this, that point is such a, a big machine and it's hard once again to like have minutia. Yeah. Uh, and you know, be able to play in those little details. Um, and I feel like too, once they get like, Bigger, they start doing more interesting things with the camera, yeah. more so than interesting things with the lighting. You know, like Spielberg did all this stuff with Saving Private Ryan, where like the camera was like handheld or it was like shaking, like he set up like a thing to like hit the side of the lens so it would uh, replicate what the old film cameras that they actually used during that time mm-hmm. looked like, the footage looked like, and it would also kind of give this feeling of like a machine gun firing. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. But like it has nothing to do with the lighting. Yeah. Definitely has something to do with cinematography because of the camera department, but Yeah. You know. Yeah, if you want to think about a couple crazy just thinking about cinematography that kind of pushes the bounds once again, um Gravity, that one was yeah. wild. Yeah. Um I mean, just the fact that they chose to have a scene where you're spinning in her head. Yeah. You know, and and that's caused seizures or whatever. Um, Birdman and the Revenant, I think it's the same DP yeah. guy. Um, yeah. he likes to use really, really wide angle lenses and yeah, really kind of locked out. And he's shots. like one like three times in he a row. Lo- well, he it's because of he's choreographed. He he is a choreographed cinematographer more than really anything else. I feel like yeah, where like Birdman, you don't really ever sit with a character and what they're doing. It's a constant flow of motion yeah. of. You're not cutting between the actors. You're looking at one actor, then you flow over to right. the other one as you go across the room, yeah. and it's this dance. And which kind of like goes back more it to like, like a camera. play, yeah. And it kind of that goes back more to camera work. But if you have like big long oneers, you got to light the scene somehow, anyways. Yeah. So it's still a really big deal to be able to light a scene when like you can't put C stands and lights in it because you're moving around and you're going to see them eventually. Yeah. The yeah. Revenant, he was all outside, so uh, you use like natural light basically. Plus, um. They use so many wide angles on that one. Yeah. Uh, Tree of Life, did you ever see that movie? No, I never did. That movie, as as much as it is a philosophical brain fart, 
Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Lewis. Uh, Lewis, I'm sorry, but he's true. not actually that sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, it is very beautifully shot. Yeah, very, very beautifully shot. And yeah, story I mean, wise, they do an incredible. I've never job. been a huge fan. What's that director's name? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. I've never really been that huge of a fan of his movies, just because they are more of these like, you know. Well, there's. There's no. They're rules. more of these. Yeah, there's more of these like philosophical journeys, and it's not, it's more like the art art film than like actual storytelling. Yeah, watching it, it's it's going from so Spielberg or Nolan. It's like someone's sitting you down and they're engaging you in the story. Terrence Malick is you're walking along, looking at nature, and he's just kind of throwing ideas out. Yeah, you know, being like, what if the trees had feelings, or you know, yeah, and it's, it, it is a very two different feelings, which could work in like some philosophical obviously yeah. that that's how people connected with god in that movie was he was talking about i mean it's the story of job and yeah how the creation of the world and so you have these big epic shots of well the reason i brought him up though yeah. isn't to talk about him that level yeah. although very interesting but that's you, i mean that's that's what he is yeah. uh but is to say i am interested in seeing his new movie that he has coming out yeah and yeah. it also looks really beautifully shot so I'm interested in actually seeing his version of a actual story. That's the problem. He is really, really good at trailers. Oh at yeah. His his. Movies, Have you seen the movie already? It's not out yet, is it's it? It's not out yet. But you think I, it's not going to be good? From experience of knowing every single trailer, that's why I keep watching his stuff. Yeah. Is because the trailers blow me away. I'm like, this is yeah. awesome. I mean, you know my filming style. Yeah, it's very similar. It's very similar to Terrence Malick. Yeah. Because. My filming style is great for a two-minute video. <laughs> and you, you have, do like throw some philo- philosophy in there sometimes. Of course, because once again, I think philosophy- It's like walking with Todd as he's pointing out trees. <laughs> what yeah. if God created this tree? I think it doesn't that's, have any feelings, but God does. That's why I like Dennis Villanova and like Arrival. It's where yeah. it's it's still somewhat grounded. Yeah, There is that element of like- Free floating, yeah. Because he does like to walk with Amy right. Adams and cut randomly to the right. Future and it's all about the philosophy. I mean, it's about language. Yeah, and the it's philosophy about language, of language, language of people, future. Yeah. I mean, literally yeah. cutting in. It's like the future. It's the past. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just craziness. But there's still something connected there. Yeah. Like Inception, you still know you're in that level <laughs> right. of that dream. Like as you get yeah. deeper, it gets crazier. But there's still something there. Yeah. Terrence Malick. <laughs> it is like craziness yeah. where he's like one like he has a movie that um ben affleck did where it, he's like married to like three different women but it's like about these relationships and but he's like in the field with amy adams and talking about like tenderness and love and then he's in this abusive fighting relationship with another actress and talking about what is love is this just a documentary about him i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it could be that's probably why he it. but it's just it's it's wild. I, yeah. I don't know. One of but, them is Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I'd be interested, like, left-right brain people because I did a test and I'm, like, perfectly down the middle where I'm, like, both left and right brain, like, like kind of equal. And so maybe that's why I like, like, Dennis Villanova, or, you yeah. know, kind of rival where it's a little bit both. But people who, are, like, really like structure might be more, like, inclined to logic and the really left-brain yeah. creative people like the craziness yeah. of so we're kind of getting away from yeah, cinematography. Sorry, sorry. I just, That's why I'm trying to bring you back. Yeah. But you're just keep going on this. Yeah, I just I, I just was thinking. These are I'm trying all... to rope you back. I'm trying to pull you, and you just keep swimming off into the ocean. Yeah. 
you and Terrence Malick together just waiting around Maybe in the water. Maybe I hate myself. That's why I hate <laughs> Well, we're getting really deep here. So back to cinematography. Yeah. Uh, so You're talking about that movie. That's what we like and don't like. Yeah, I, yeah I'm interested in seeing it because it, he is somebody who usually has really beautiful images. Yeah. And I've never really wanted to watch his stories because they're boring to me. Uh, but I'm curious to see one where it's actually an interesting story yeah. tied with beautiful images. Um, but so those are some of the stuff we like. Yeah. Uh, I'd say now let's talk a little bit more about our own experience mm-hmm. making stuff, DP and stuff. And you kind of were going into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your style, how you like to shoot stuff, yeah. how it's evolved over the years. Yeah. Feel free to throw some, you know, share stuff you've learned that other people can learn from you as you share your cinematography testimonial. <laughs> um, What's your testimony? My testimony Bunch is... Bunch of camera guys sitting around. Well, uh, I started shooting on the DVX 100 and then <laughs> the red came out and we kind of had a relationship for a little yeah. while. <laughs> I've always liked... That was always the thing that you and I kind of, at the very beginning, I, I wouldn't say we clashed, but I definitely... We butted heads on it. We butted heads. For sure, you, you can say we classic clashed. classic lockdown. I was. Get it on sticks. like, And I'm like, I need movement. Like, it was – because that's where I learned. Like, Eric uh, Wilcox, he was the camera guy for me. He was my DP, essentially. I feel like Eric just was everything for you. He was was my everything, and then he left me. (laughs) It's like a a romance song or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he really was. But he had this way of shooting with just a little bit – I mean, he did handheld right. And that was the thing with me. I'm very shaky – and so I think my style would be probably lots of movement. Um, if it is lockdown, it's going to be a lockdown, probably like camera uh, slowly moving towards you, you know, uh, a dolly shot or anything like that. Um, if I am going to do a lockdown shot, I want an epic wide. I want big. Um, even like close up, I want a little bit of movement. Uh, and so my my relationship really the way I filmed was out of my body limitations because I shake so much it was easier to film things in slow motion or film things in motion to kind of be ahead of my disabilities <laughs> versus it being locked down yeah because on a tripod well because it's then too boring t- oh okay but that has nothing to do with you shaking then well I don't want to be as moving. As I do in my, you know, I don't want, I don't really want to be the Terrence Malick. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like if I'm gonna be movement, I would like to have a little subtler. Oh, but you have to move more so that way the shake doesn't show up. Yeah, and so I have to kind of go outside what is actually like what I want. Gotcha. And so, um, but I do, I do like lockdown. Once again, if it's moving, like I had that shot in one of my videos. I started out. I think good establishing shots are really good for like lockdown, kind of letting you know what's seeing the scenery, seeing the moment. Yeah. Accompanied with. So if I shoot things like nature, I like to be still because nature's so vibrant and alive around me that like I think there's something really powerful on the camera just being still. And so that's kind of when I was filming the AT running at full speed because 
I was DP on that. Even though we all were camera people and stuff, that's just something you gave me. Uh, <laughs> you shot more of the footage than the rest I of I shot us. a lot of it, but I didn't really, like, a lot of the shots that I wanted didn't actually make the movie, which is fine. <laughs> which uh, is probably a classic <laughs> thing that every DP says. It, it absolutely is. That was one thing I found really interesting when I started to be around other uh, DPs is they were really self-conscious about their shots. <laughs> yeah. Really, really, really. And um, Jacob would always be like, why didn't you put that shot in? That other one yeah. was so much better. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't actually, like the actor's not yeah. doing it right. <laughs> or before we would go on a shoot, like the the producer or editor would be on set and be like, all right, give me your card. And all the deep, you know, all the camera guys would be looking through their footage, deleting <laughs> the stuff that they didn't like. <laughs> you know, like, I just think that's really, really, I get it now because obviously, like, I don't know. Even now, I'm like, the editor really is going to come through and find what he thinks yeah. is good. But yeah. maybe it makes his job easier. Or like, well, I wow, think, this guy I has think, really a lot of yeah, I think that's what it I'll is. I mean, I, I've deleted footage before when I'm freelancing for other yeah. people because I'm like, I don't want them to see. I don't want them to. I want them to. And it, I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, in some situations it is. I mean, when I've been editing stuff, I'm like, yeah, some of it's true, some of it's not. But I want that ratio of good shots to bad shots yeah. to be a lot more good than yeah. bad. Yeah. And so if I have to go in and delete some of the bad, so that way then the ratio is better. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and as an editor, I will say that like if I see bad shots, I'll I'll, I'll clock it. I'll mm. say, oh, this was shot really badly, or yeah. this was overexposed. You know, there's yeah. a certain point where I it think goes from like, oh, the normal. This is a normal amount. Yeah. Yeah. To where this is no longer a normal amount. Yeah. This person doesn't know what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people are like, I want to get rehired again, and yeah. I don't want the editor to complain to the producer, or the director, or the client that this person doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so I'm going to go through and delete all the bad shots. <laughs> exactly. Um, so going back to my style, I shoot from feeling more than I know. There's a lot of people who are like, there are like specific rules when it comes to right. like you know filming like never do the 180 or you know pass the 180 threshold or anything like that yeah which it's understandable i think those type of people are going to be more inclined to like like hitch hitchcock movies and stuff yeah. like that he was very much almost mathematically like that um but my style very much is what what am i catching in this moment so if i want to catch a moment where ali's smiling and she's having a good time i'm going to slow it down because that's how i feel in real life so my filming definitely doesn't come from any uh school or you know any like learning yeah. background but mainly from like a yeah. purely emotional yeah you have yeah you you follow and it has been something that's true of you as i've worked with you um if i have something that needs to be technically shot mm -hmm. i give you a lot of direction yeah because because you're really really good at shooting uh, everything, but oh, like thanks, buddy, appreciate it. I mean, you're one of the best camera guys and DPs I know. That's the nicest thing that you say, but it's like it's like <laughs> the married couple that we talked about that we were last time. That's yeah. like that's like what Helen saying something nice about me. I'm like you're just saying that because you're my wife. Like I'm like you're just saying that because you're my work wife, Todd. No, well, I mean, but, I say that because I, I edit, and I always want to edit your stuff. <laughs> well, thanks, <laughs> so man. That's the biggest. Um, uh, but yeah, I, but then on the flip side, when people, which has become more and more yeah. of a trend, when we were butting heads about it back in the day, it would be like we were doing a stand-up interview, an yeah. interview video, and you'd have the camera moving all over the place and yeah. like trying to, and I'm like, dude, this is this is not this kind of yeah. video. Yeah. Like you got to learn that this is not what clients want. They yeah. want these lockdown static shots that just put everything together. 
and you're like, no, I want to have more feeling. And what? I'm like, yeah, not not for this. You don't. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've come around to that. I mean. Yeah, you know, I mean, I still will stand by the fact that yeah, it you, was more of a trend maybe back in like the 2010s that like there would be at least one camera that was like moving. Yeah, on the yeah. Side. Yeah, and and people were into it, but like that's the crazy thing about trends with cinematography yeah. is the fact that the stuff that is trending is oftentimes not the stuff that will actually get you hired. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like that interesting restaurant in town or, you know, Maria Kondo and everybody's doing it for a, two weeks. <laughs> but, you know, like the but just the basics of yeah. like organizing and cleaning your house that you've been doing for the last 20 years, that's yeah. still what you do <laughs> and what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's so it's like clients, they might find that we might find that video cool, but like one out of 100 clients actually want to pay for right. that. The night, the other ninety nine want the same old thing that they've always gotten, um, and so that's always as like kind of the producer part of my hat that I have to wear. It's like that's always the hard part is, you know, I have all these crew members that want to do the coolest newest thing. You know, when the I am second videos came out, it's like all the crew wanted to just do the top down light in a chair. Yeah. Like, how long have those videos been out? No, since probably the early two thousands. Yeah, finally. Yeah. P- people regularly would accept that. Yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. The like commercial clients. I would say like 10. Oh man, no. Like and talking. Are you saying it came out 10 years ago? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's been about a decade. Okay. So, so about yeah. a decade then yeah. of it being out, finally people are like like 8 out of 10 clients would agree to that yeah. at this point. <laughs> but when it came out and everybody thought it was so super cool, like no clients yeah. would have paid for that. Yeah, that's it's definitely the trends. You're going to have like one out of like a hundred clients be like, I want like the trendy thing. Yeah. And when they want the trendy thing, they really, they want the thing. They don't want the I'm second anymore. They want like, what's HBO doing with the colorful light? Yeah. And then they want it exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if they, say, if they say, I want the I'm second video, you better get the exact same chair. Yeah. You better get the exact same lighting set yeah. up, you know, so. Which is nice because it's easy to replicate. Stuff. Yeah. But either way, it's like the whole reason of yeah. wanting to do something trendy is to be creative. Yeah. And you end up not being, you actually be more creative on the other stuff because you're yeah. trying to make it seem more interesting, but there's less like specific things you have to follow where, you know, it's just kind of a funny thing. So when you're doing client work, unfortunately, just like with editing, it's the client's vision. You yeah. got to do what they want and kind of what they expect and sort of the kind of cinematography and stuff that they've done in the past. And if you change anything, you only want to change like one out of 10th, Yeah. you know, one tenth of what is, you just kind of tweak it. Yeah, you do Maybe your not so heavy on the yeah. You do your effect. version of, a, yeah. of an overhead yeah. shot versus that other person's version of an overhead. But yeah. um, but anyways, going back to the way you your style of shooting, um, more and more we do get clients who are like, I want this to feel more emotional yeah. and have some more feeling come through it. Shut um, the table. Yeah, all these Netflix shows are actually really helping it out, and they're always really concerned that we won't be able to film that. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah. I got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I got a guy who can do that. That's his forte. Yeah. That's what he shoots. Yeah. Uh, and whenever we need that stuff, I do just hand you the camera and say, go do you, man. Yeah. yeah. You go do your thing. You legitimately do that, Like, yeah. don't, I don't, just whatever feels appropriate. Don't ask me what, any questions. Don't clarify anything. Just go do, go shoot Todd footage. Yeah. Um, and it's always fun, actually, when I get to just do that because, A, you're good at it, and, and then I can just let you actually yeah. enjoy the shoot yeah. and have fun versus well, and, putting and, it on a tripod or a uh, slider yeah. or something. And, and I, I had to, like, earn that. You know, I think that was the thing when I came down here. Like, I 
really didn't know a lot about filmmaking and all that stuff. And so over the last eight years, like proving myself and getting better at my craft and maybe not going as crazy and, you know, and, and kind of having to make a path for myself. So then you could see, oh, yeah, that is good. You know, I think we're so used to being like, just trust me and I'll do this. Like, it's OK to, like, earn your place right. and, and earn a spot. Well, and especially as DPs, I think that's a yeah. big thing is that, like, you do pick a DP off of what they've shot before. And so it's like as a DP, you have to prove like it doesn't matter if you say you can do something. Yeah. It only matters if you can prove it because what you're doing is very visual. Yeah. You know, so it's like if an editor hasn't edited something before, yeah, they probably can figure it out. Yeah. But it's like a DP, it's like, hey, if you've never light, lit a scene like this before, how do I know you can do it? Yeah. And until I see it, you know, I'm not going to I'm going to go with the guy who's already done it. Yeah. Uh, versus the person who just says they can. And, you know, not saying that about you, but like whenever I have had different DPs or they send me reels, it's like I'm judging them completely off of what I see. Yeah. You know, it is definitely a uh, what you have is what you yeah. what you got to work with. Yeah, I think I've I've gotten better to where I can because for the longest time, I think my stuff, if you didn't know how to like edit it, like it was almost unusable. But because I knew how to edit my shots, yeah. I could make something really good. Yeah. And so, because the way I do shoot, like, the Terrence Malick, like, maybe not in the traditional, right. like, cameraman way for an editor who doesn't know. He's not going to know that, like, my shot really gets good maybe 10, 10 seconds. Right, or if you mix these together, or if you put yeah. this slow part with this music, it yeah. works really well. No, I would agree with that, too. When times I've had to edit your footage, it is harder for me because yeah. I don't have, like, your vision. Yeah, um, uh, Yeah, because when I made that video... Because I think a lot of the shots that were used in the trail, you know, didn't look as good as, you know, you maybe had thought or something. And then when I made that video where I was hiking with Allie, I remember you saying, being like, where was this footage? <laughs> yeah. You know, when we made yeah. the movie. And I was like, I did shoot that. Yeah. It's just because I know how to edit my stuff, you know. Yeah. Yes, it looks, this shot looks engaging because. Yeah. Normally, I would just shoot like this, and then that's what you would put in the. You know, I shoot yeah. still, but in editing, I stabilize it. I added a slight like push in. Yeah. And so you know, it's getting my vision across. But when you're just looking at the raw material, right. you're just looking at a really boring shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's maybe I'm a bit edited and shoot it. But <laughs> well, no, I mean it's. It, but I think it does go. It, it's a valid point that there isn't a part of being a DP that you have to learn. Like yeah. if you're editing it, you can shoot it one way. Yeah. If you're not editing it, you need to shoot it a different way. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I even learned when I started freelancing as a, as a DP or a camera operator. And I would go out and I'd shoot a bunch of footage and I'd come back and see the piece and I'd be like, Oh, yeah. and that's why I actually started deleting clips because they would use clips that I was like, well, that wasn't the best clip. It was just one of the first ones that I did. Yeah of that, you know, somebody was doing something and I filmed them five times doing it and they used the third one. And I'm like, the fifth one was the best one. That's why I didn't do a sixth one, <laughs> you know? So I started deleting yeah. the earlier ones yeah. that were bad and it was like, okay, out of these three, they can use any yeah. of them and that's fine. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, you know, cause editors are also under time crunches and they're also lazy. Well, and you know, they also are looking at a ton of food. Yeah. So they kind of get overloaded. Yeah, cause I know for me, like I will, go through like five times on stuff that I've shot, you know, and yeah. I'll find something and go, oh, yeah, I didn't realize this shot was yeah. so good. You know, yeah. like you just don't see it. Yeah, so. and if you see something that's like pretty good, yeah. then you cut it and you put it in and you don't keep going through the rest of the clip. And, and, you know, another thing is like if I'm not editing my footage, I will not 
have I won't have one long clip and have the person do it a bunch yeah. of times. I would I'll cut every single time. So that way then each time you go to the next clip, it's the beginning of the action again. So that mm-hmm. way the person knows when they pull it up in the time, you know, in the editing, they see eight clips yeah. and each clip is eight takes, you know, or each each clip is a take. So, you know, there's eight takes. Yeah. So when you stop at take three, there's five more that might be better. Yeah. And hopefully that will be enough to make somebody be like, maybe I should check out clip seven and eight before yeah. I say three is good enough. Well, and you know? learning your style, like now I know usually to go with the last take yeah. because I know yeah, that's I know like, you. I know that you, yeah, if you've got it, you're like Fincher in that way where he will do 80 takes of something. I mean, just the the laptop throwing on the ground scene in, uh, in the social network, they did that like 46 times. Oh, that's right, back. yeah. Because and apparently Zodiac, like it broke Jake Gyllenhaal because the scene he's getting into his car and starting it. That's all he's doing. They did that like eighty times. Oh my gosh! And he it like broke him because it was just like he's so meticulous. And yeah. He's so like it's got to be just a hair of a thing off. Yeah. But you watch his stuff and it's like really crisp. good. Risp. Yeah. And you're like how? Yeah. Eighty takes. Eighty takes. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could do 80 takes, no. but I do probably shoot more takes than most people do. Yeah. Um, because I want things to look good. Um, but yeah, my last take is usually my best one. Yeah. Um, if not the last take, then the second to last one. Um, yeah. because I'll be like, oh, that one was really good. Let's do one more. Just a on, safety one. A safety. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think my style, I would say, is probably the more traditional, classic approach. I think I've slowly been like evolving that mm-hmm. or like breaking away from that to try to be more different with my camera movements and placements. Um, I think if I could probably, if I could be like someone, I would probably run my camera and block my camera like Spielberg does. Yeah. I like his approach and style. Yeah. That's probably why he's one of my favorite directors because I like the way that he uses oneers but also uses close-ups and also has why and he has nice static shots, but he also has moving shots. The problem I think with me and moving shots is I like moving shots. It's just that the way that I want to move a camera is is not a way that I can usually afford. Mm, yeah. You know, like I would love to shoot stuff on a dolly. A crane. Yeah. No, not really cranes. Oh, I, really? Not crane shots, but like a dolly, like an actual official dolly. Yeah, someone I, pushing it. Yeah, I would do a ton of a movie on a dolly, but it takes so much time to set one up. You have to rent it. You have to have the people. I mean, even just lifting a dolly onto the tracks takes a couple guys. Yeah. And it's like if it's just me and you filming – you know, and if you only have an hour, it's like, I think for me, I'm always, my desire to be efficient when shooting interrupts my ability sometimes to get the shots that I want. Yeah. Um, now, granted, we have not had the opportunity to just have a huge budget and yeah. kind of set, you know, have yeah. time to do that. Yeah. So. Um, so if I did, I think I would probably do a lot more moving shots and yeah. steady. I'd probably do steady cam and dolly a lot yeah. and then only use static shots for when I want it to be static. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are still very much like a grounded person as far as like coming to your shots. Like you're not going to do, um, I'm not going to do something crazy with yeah, the camera for the sake of doing yeah. it. Um, I do like actually doing a lot more stuff handheld now that that's become more of the trend. Um, not like shaky handheld, but just like, like, yeah, but maybe not like narratively. Like I, I see you doing that more like in a documentary or. Yeah, I mean, depending on the narrative, I might. I don't know. True. You know, that's it just depends. I think that's probably like for me, like camera movement needs to match the story and yeah. tone of the movie. Yep. Um, and in like, and to a certain degree, like I don't feel like movement should ever like 
call attention to itself where yeah. I feel like you probably would try to make it call attention to itself. I mean, somewhat. it still has to play into the name. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like you would use it as a way to like make people feel a certain way. And I don't yeah. think I really do. Um, but Spielberg does. Uh, I mean, if he's having a magical moment and it's the pushing and the light, you know, yeah, and I would do little, some of that, yeah. but I'm like Terrence Malick. I feel like it seems like he does that a lot. Terrence uh, Malick is just, yeah. Crazy. So, um, where like, I mean, did you see the Knights of Cups? No, I didn't. The, the Christian Bale and all that stuff. It's literally, it's like a GoPro, like the widest fish. He's using fish eye, like, yeah. for his movie. It's insane. Um, but I think probably where I am more, uh, my, where my style is more noticeable is I really care about good lighting. Mm. Um, and so, like, and lenses. So, yeah. like, I think where, how the camera is moving and, like, where it's placed, like, matters to me. Really, probably if it's moving or not moving doesn't matter to me as much where it's placed and what lens is on it and then the lighting. I think yeah. that's something that, like, over the years of learning more and more, like, I'm very particular about the way that scenes are lit. Yeah. Um, and if I had more money or a bigger budget, uh, the more and more I'm going to spend time on it to make yeah. it the way I want it to be. Um, and when I watch stuff that I've done in the past or that I've DP'd in the past or other DPs have done for me, like that's always the area that I'm always the most like critical of and wishing that I could go back and change. Um, and so to me, I think that's, that's probably like a bigger thing, you know, like, all right, so it's on a dolly or it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, the camera is pushing the camera in on somebody. I don't think I would really care that much if it was a dolly or a steady cam or if it was handheld, like a smooth handheld right. off of like an easy rig or something. Um, uh, that like to me isn't as important. Um, to me, like what would be really important on that would actually be the lighting. Yeah. You know, and the, and the lens like that, like those two things are like, what's really more important to me. I mean, I can, and, and I don't know if it's maybe from the years of like camera operating. I feel like it partly is, is that like I've shot so much of the same stuff so many times on so many different projects. Yeah. You know, you start shooting the same kind of like camera placement or camera moves over and over and over and over again, even if it's different clients, different projects, different cities, different locations, you just start realizing that there's only so many ways to do something. Mm -hmm. And then you start noticing that there's really not that big of a difference between them. Yeah. You know, that it's like, to me, I'm like, I'm not going to stress and fret over these details when they really don't matter as much. Uh, you know, like you really, the average viewer isn't going to tell the difference between a steady cam or a dolly. Uh, but they are going to be able to tell the difference between like a dark scene, you know, and a well lit scene, you know, like oh, the yeah. lighting is something they're going to oh, subconsciously yeah. notice, yeah. you know? And so it's like, that's, I think to me, like the lighting evokes more emotions in me when I'm watching it. So that matters to me more. And, you know, a close, uh, an 85 millimeter lens versus a 24 millimeter, like that's, that's different yeah, and creates a different emotion. So I think that's probably my style. It's probably more focus on that side of stuff than like the camera movement as much where yeah. for you, I know it's a much bigger yeah. aspect. I, I, I still like, I am. And now that you don't like lighting. Right. I, was I mean, say, I'm not saying you don't like yeah, lighting. Yeah. Like HDR is like my favorite thing that's happened in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. Um, it's high dynamic range. So the blacks are really black and the, and the whites are, are very white. So, but you see like the depth of color. And I think that just uh, highlights lighting and yeah you have bad lighting. shows it off better exactly so yeah no I, i'm definitely with you on that um 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so as far as then maybe some tips. Tips. Yeah. So that's kind of our styles. Um, I will say before we go talking about videographer, like uh, cinematographers and stuff like that. If you haven't watched like Planet Earth or um, kind of like those shows, I watched the behind the scenes for Netflix's Our Planet. Yeah. Uh, and they talked about the people who viewed and they get like the best shots. And I've told Ryan this. I think they're the best cinematographers on the planet because they had to live to get a Siberian tiger. They had to live in these little huts the size of this room, like very, very small, like six, you know, it's like eight by five feet or something, very small little uh, rooms. They had to live in them six, uh, six days at a time, never leaving. Like they would pee in there and they would eat in there and sleep in there, just stay in those boxes for a week at a time. And they did that for two years. Just waiting for the just tiger. Just waiting for like, a couple minutes of footage, like maybe a couple seconds of footage because the tiger's so elusive. But these guys, the patience that they had to sit there and then not only to capture it, but to like, they had to like get good footage. Yeah. Like it has to be entertaining. It has to be stylish or guys trekking through the jungles, you know, yeah. with the big old camera. Yeah. And big And I mean, this guy got poison ivy all over it. Like he, his legs reacted to something all over or yeah. guys swimming and they had to make this huge rig of like a, you know, like a, torpedoes so they could shoot down at sharks at night and the cameraman's going into the depths of like thousands of sharks all around him yeah i mean it's just and they're getting these epic shots yeah so if you want to see good cinematography definitely. yeah it's true and actually roger deacon started out as a documentary filmmaker oh, interesting yeah. yeah um so um yeah i'd say as far as like um tips yeah some tips and techniques i mean i think if you're if you're first kind of getting into cinematography or you're just even if you think that you're into it already, ways to learn more. I, I'd say one thing that's really helped a lot um, to me, I I never realized this until about four or five years ago that um, people always think about like three-point lighting or they think about the lights that they're setting up and this one being brighter or this one being how close is the light and all this kind of stuff. Um, none of that really matters. Yeah, I think the way that you have to look at lighting is that contrast ratio. Mm -hmm. I think you, and then when you start looking at paintings and you start looking at photography that you like, uh, approach it and look at it from the perspective of contrast ratio uh, and see where those shadows are and where those brighter parts are. Where's the light and where's the shadows? Yeah. Um, and being, being able to like better understand that, uh, then that's like, you have to like know that part first Yeah. and then figure out what lights will get you that image. Mm -hmm. um, not the other way around, this lighting setup will get me this image. Yeah, You have to think about it like the reverse. Yeah, um, And that has helped out my cinematography a lot. Learning the tools and techniques and tricks and, and the process of getting certain lighting effects, like, oh, this is what I want it to look like, but it's not looking like that. How do I get it to look like that? I would go to uh, another podcast called The Wandering DP, uh, and he has a website and he actually breaks down his shoots and shows his images and then talks about what gear he used to make the images look that way. Mm. And that helped me out a lot to better understand, oh, if I put a quarter grid, that's what that looks like versus putting it into a bounce, an yeah. ultra bounce. And it's like, that doesn't seem like that big of a difference, but then you look at the image and you're like, okay, yeah. you know. Um, and he just does a really, really good job explaining it. And he actually talked about it on a different podcast where he was interviewed. 
where he's like, he went to the internet and he's like, there are a ton of um, example, or there's a ton of videos like Film Riot that teach you how to take a DSLR, a $500 T2i, and start shooting images and how to dump footage and what lenses do and just like the basics. Yeah. Your intro into cinematography. He's like, and then there'd be interviews with Roger Deakins talking about setting up, you know, 12 maxi brutes and blasting the sky. Well, great. If you have a million dollar, you know, grip and electric department, sure. He's like, but there was nothing in between for the people who like, I know how a camera works. Yeah. And I know the fundamentals. How do I take those and go to kind of like the next level, the intermediate level between me and Roger Deakins? And I feel like that's where he then filled that void. And it's just really, really good. Um, so I definitely checked that out. That's been super helpful yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, and you've, uh, one of the things we have, not everyone has this, but a monitor that can read uh, heat signals. And so um, just like learning the difference between the heat levels of, and that's where like the shadows and you can kind of see what's overexposed, what's underexposed or something like that. But taking like a favorite scene from a movie or something yep. and uploading that into a place that can get thermal imaging um, has been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like a little false color is what yeah, you're false talking color, about. Yeah. yeah. yeah and um, I mean, and it, it basically is just taking, I don't know if it's actually the heat signal so much because it's not like the image isn't showing heat. But it's like showing the it's it represents the color in the way that a heat yeah. heat imagery yeah. would, where the brighter spots are one color and the darker spots are different, and so that does help a lot. False yeah. color, and and the reason for that is it just gives it like a a easier way to look at the image and understand the exposure levels yeah. throughout the image, and so that you can see those contrast shadows better, um, and you can adjust the colors to be wherever you want. So you know anything from. 40% bright to 60% bright is going to be one color and 60 to 70 is one color and 70 to 75. I mean, you can make it, it doesn't have to all be the same, Yeah. but you start seeing um, patterns yeah. as you're looking at images. Um, and so like that was something that was really fascinating to me when I did that, uh, what Todd's talking about, I started noticing that like the background is always usually like one stop darker than mm-hmm. the person's face, Yeah. Uh, like the bright part on their face. And, and so then I was like, oh, well now if you know that, and that's like what looks good to you, and that's the kind of images you like, well, then there's two ways to do that. You can either make the background darker Mm -hmm. by eliminating the light that's falling on the background, or you can make their face one stop brighter by adding more light to their face. And so that's, I guess, kind of what I mean is like once you realize that like your goal is to get that contrast ratio between the key light and the fill and the key light to the background and the key light to your essential, your, your props that you're wanting to highlight. Once you start understanding the ratio that you want there, okay, I want this to be one stop darker. I want this one to be two stops darker. I want this one to be half a stop darker. Well, then it's a matter of like, well, what lights can I not control? Yeah. And what lights can I control that are just naturally here? I can't control this. You know, I can't turn the sun off. So I'm going to either need to make the sun darker somehow, or I'm going to have to make everything else brighter. You know, you start realizing that like in some situations you might need to add lights, other situations you might need to take lights away. Sometimes you need to add silk. Sometimes you need flags. You know, you start breaking it down more on like, okay, what do I need to do to darken or brighten these certain areas? Yeah. Versus like, oh, if I bring these tools and just set them up, they're always going to work mm-hmm. the same way every time, and they're just not. Yeah. You know. So, uh, I think that's been super helpful. Um, and then obviously having a camera that shoots with different lenses. And just using them enough 
to get an idea of like the how wide or narrow they are, mm-hmm. you know, is also something I think is super helpful. Yeah. Um, what's some other stuff that you've learned along the ways? Um, Especially yeah. when it comes to camera movement. Have you learned some stuff over the years? Yeah, you- I mean, think of it. I mean, I do think of it from an editor's point of view. You know, yeah. how is this going to edit into, you know, the shot? So if you're doing a – obviously, if you're doing a product shoot and stuff like that, the product is the thing that you are going to want to highlight. Um, if you're trying to tell a narrative story, um, the action or the feeling or the the message is the focus of what you want to get across. So, um, yeah, just, just kind of – figuring out what what it is that's going to help the overall message or overall point of the video. So, um, yeah, just just think of it that way. Think of it more than – because there can be really pretty, beautiful shots that you get that don't necessarily help the overall message. Yeah. So just just think about that. You know, it's more than what you want to shoot. It's what is the whole – point of it so yeah yeah um stuff like that and then uh yeah i i think uh dp is it's like learn to really evaluate your shots i think it's very easy to like it's it's like with editing you can edit something and then you're like all right i'm good i'm done i think you have to have like almost a deeper look at what you're filming because you could set someone up, their face looks great and all that stuff, but you're shooting against a flat wall. Yeah. You know, like, look look deeper. Look, like, how is this interesting? What is it that I can make it, you know, maybe that's having our subject farther away from the furniture in the background, and so that creates a cool depth of field, which we did in one of our shots and one of the best, you know, interview shots yeah. we've ever done. So I think just whatever shot, if you have time, like, really – go deeper and think uh, the next level. So really think your shots through. If you're, it's a running gun, be okay with uh, about 50% of your shots being usable. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> and less. Then, yeah, and then if you want to go through and edit them. Uh, or, or delete them. Delete them. Do yeah. that. Just, just maybe put that into that's what's going to happen. That's part of your job today. I think yeah. a lot of times we think I shoot and then just give it to the editor and they can do it. Well, maybe if you want to be seen as, Better. Higher quality, yeah. higher c- caliber, especially if you're a uh, hired hand, they're going to yeah. be impressed with what you give them. So, yeah, I think when it, you know, from a, the aesthetics points, tips, I mean, that's definitely what I was kind of saying earlier. I think from more like the practical, actually doing it for work, working with a crew, I think one suggestion I would say is um, have a process yeah. and figure out what that process is for you. And then make sure you communicate that process to everybody on set. Definitely the people that work for you mm-hmm. as the camera team, whether the camera team is just a PA who's helping you with the cameras on a small shoot to an actual, you know, gaffer or key grip and first ACs and, you know, best boys and all that kind of stuff. Like make sure they understand your process. Um, but then also make sure like whoever you're working for, the director, the producer, whoever that they know your process and that your process works with their process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, something that, um, for me, my process, like it drives me nuts when people start moving gear around before I know what I'm shooting. Yeah. Um, and because I'm like, I'm, you're going to need to move that. It's like, they just start, okay, the next shot. And they just start moving forward as though they know what it is. And I'm like, I, we don't know what it is yet because I haven't said what it is. Yeah. So for me, 
and you've seen this. I mean, like when my process is grooving along really well, I like to take the camera off the tripod. I like you to hand it to me because yeah. usually you're my AC if I'm DPing. And I like to walk around with the camera, figure out where I'm going to put it, figure out what lens I want to put it, put the camera there, and then say, all right, this is what it is now, grip and electric, come in here and yeah. light it. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I can step away from the camera and work with the G&E team and make sure the lighting looks the way I want it to. Or go get snacks if everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, and I think as a director, it's kind of the same thing. It's like I want to bring the camera in, figure out where it is, block it yeah. with the actors, and make sure that, like, before we start setting up lights and everything else that we know, this camera placement's going to work. Yeah. Because the actor, it's like it works for the actors, it works for me as the director, it works for the DP, works for the art department. Everybody's happy. Okay, now let's light it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like lock it in, you know. Um, but that's my process. Some people might have something else. Maybe some people like to walk around with a viewfinder, a director's viewfinder. Maybe some people like to just walk around and do the little square box with their fingers, you know, like, or maybe other people can just see it, you know, on their own and they can just look at it and say, yep, right here with the 35 will be perfect. You know, everybody's different. I think having a process though, if you don't have a process, it is a mess. (laughs) And like, and it's just a long day yeah. and people are moving stuff after they've put it somewhere yeah. and things are changing constantly. And then everybody just gets annoyed because you're, it's not efficient. Yeah. And then like film shoots are hard enough already. You don't need to make them even harder by telling the PA they can put all the gear over in that corner. And then five minutes later, oh, actually all that gear is in the shot. Can you move it all out? Yeah. And that happens kind of no matter what sometimes, but you don't, you want to minimize that as much yeah. as possible. And then I think- Having a really good relationship with the director yeah. is really important. And figuring out like what part of that camera blocking framing the director wants to do and even figuring out like coverage and camera movement and placement yeah. and how much they want you to do. Yeah. Good uh, communication is vital with everyone on site. You know, yeah. everyone needs to see what the vision is. But definitely I mean, spoiler alert. If it the movie doesn't look good, that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you are visual. It is a visual medium. Yeah. So if it does not look good, the whole thing yeah. has failed. So with every DP I've worked with and every director I've worked with as a DP, I always have had issues with the uh, what are you doing and what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, part of it, um, except for you actually, because we do get each other yeah. and we know, um, and uh, I don't really think there's a right amount. I mean, I, I, I have a preference and so mm-hmm. I would say that's what I think is right. But really like if you're a director who doesn't care that much about the camera and you work with a guy who really, really cares about that stuff, then that's a perfect marriage. It is. You yeah. know, like somebody like our friend Jacob, who's been DP for us, like he loves being in control of the camera and yeah. saying exactly what it does and where it goes yeah. and how it's moved and what it's doing as far as a storytelling tool. So he would be perfect with a director who came from the acting side and doesn't care at all. Yeah. He, he, yeah. You know, Absolutely. pair him with that person, and, like, there's this perfect happy marriage where he's doing everything he wants to, and they're perfectly glad that he is because they don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, working with DPs, there'd be times where they would want to be doing stuff that I want to do, and I'm the director, so it's I get to kind of do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm the one hiring them, not the other way around. But then as a DP, I'd have situations where I would assume that they would want to do stuff and then we get on set and they're not doing it. Yeah. And then they're looking to me like, are we good? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean are we good? Like, you're the director. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. are you tell me if we're good. Are yeah. you happy? I mean, like, I don't know. You yeah. know, like, I mean, I do know, but I, I haven't 
I didn't come to set planning on making those decisions. <laughs> um, and so yeah. I think that's something too. It's like you need to communicate up front, have a really honest conversation both as the director and as the DP. Here's the 10 decisions, and it's not 10. It's way more than that. But here's the 10 areas that we have to divide between us. Yeah. Which ones are you planning on doing and which ones should I do? Yeah. You know, or here's the ones I want to do. Which ones do you want to do? You know, all right, here's three that neither of us want to do. Somebody's got to do them, you know. I mean, I think you really need to, like, have a clear understanding because, you know, one of the things that on some sets the DP decides the coverage of a scene and says, hey, you need to get more. We need to get another over the shoulder. We need to get a cutaway or we need to get a two shot. Other times the AD decides that. Other times the script supervisor decides that. Sometimes the first cameraman decides that, yeah. or the A camera operator. Sometimes the director does. Like somebody, but somebody, everybody needs to know whose job it is. Yeah. Um, and I think, especially on smaller independent stuff, I've run into that so many times and it's so frustrating <laughs> to be on set yeah. and not have those decisions made. Yeah. So figure that out. I'd say those are my big two yeah. step. Two kind of tips. You've worked with them as ACs and kind of seen it from not, like you've been able to watch the relationship from the outside. Yeah. Do no, you have I, any tips for directors, yeah. DPs working with directors or directors working with DPs yeah. or DPs working with their crew? Yeah, no, you are 100% correct because everyone is different. You're going to have your David Finchers who literally are control freaks and want control every aspect. I mean, some directors actually operate. Yeah. Operate the camera. Yeah, Nolan, I mean, there's... Sometimes where I know he likes to be behind monitors, but then you see pictures where he likes to be on the camera looking through. And especially back in the old days where it was film, you know, they didn't have monitors. And right. They would have to have dailies later and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's 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 very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You need to have good communication. That's kind of maybe goes into like the pre-production where people are getting to know each other and they kind of work. I mean, that's why you'll see sometimes in movies like this person dropped out over creative differences. And that could sometimes be a different hidden meaning or it legitimately could be different creative. And that would be why, where it's like the DP and director just don't get along or, you know, there's just, yeah, that, or the director's like, I want to operate the camera. Yeah. And the DP's like, no, nah, I want to operate exactly. the camera. I'm a DP. That's what I do. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm the kind of director that you set it up, but then I'm the one actually yeah. sitting at the camera operating it. And then he's like, well, I don't want to do the movie then. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Which so, is fine. Like, yeah. part ways. Exactly. You know, like, nothing's worse than agreeing to something when it's set up for failure. Yeah. You know, like, like it really, like, like I said, and that's where the DP and the director work closer than anybody else in yeah. my opinion like where they have to work hand in hand yeah. they're constantly like passing this ball back and forth and if they're not in sync with each other it's gonna be a horrible movie yeah. and a horrible experience yeah. like wally fitzer in his first movie the yeah. giant Depp one transparency or whatever and you know he was bullying the dp that he had yeah because he wanted to you know because yeah, he had been a dp he's an oscar winning dp you know yeah but he didn't know the story. So from my experience looking at those things, yes, absolutely communication. And then the other one, DP, you really are as an AC or, or anyone out in the crew, you really are like the direct, the DP is like your manager. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he is the guy that brings the troops together. And I am more of like your DP sets the morale. Like the director is like the, the head of everyone, but like, for the most part, you're not really having direct communication with them if you're below DP. So the DP really needs to set that like 
mood and morale from the beginning and a bad a dp that's just grumbling and complaining and is just in a bad mood really brings down the mood of everyone else like he is an example or she is an example or if they just have like no trust in the director you know there there needs to be that like image that helps everyone else out so if the director the dp like rodney uh, that we got to meet the guy who was the DP for 24 and all those stuff. Really great guy. Knew exactly what he was talking about. Really laid back. Um, was very open to new and upcoming people. There's just something that you're like, I want to follow this guy to the end of earth. So just be prepared. So when you're a DP, it's more than setting up the image. It's your leader of a crew. Yeah. And you need to treat accordingly so yeah and i think um from the that morale part and even kind of setting the tone for all that department i mean you're in charge of three departments that's a lot that's a lot most people are not in charge of like the art department is not in charge of i mean they can be in charge of a lot of people on big huge sets with sets but it's still like it's it's one it's like it's kind of like more unified Mm -hmm. crew you know uh department where like those three departments really are completely different uh camera electric grip so um, I do think, and it's I I am at fault uh, at as much as any DP that I've worked with, but it seems like as a director, the your number one biggest critic is your DP. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just constantly thinking that they can do it better than you. Yeah. Um, and there's times where they're probably right, you know. Uh, but I think you're right. Like as a DP, it's so easy for me to criticize the director, and as the director, it seems like it's so easy for them to criticize me. Yeah. But that's not the right way to do it. No. Um, and and those times that I've done it, it was wrong. And the times that people are doing it to me, it's wrong. Yeah. Like it really is the job. Like the DP should be the director's biggest cheerleader. Yeah. And reminding and yes. encouraging everybody yes. that the director's job is really hard. Yeah. And yeah, maybe the director has doesn't have experience doing right. this or is well, trying col- something that might not work. But it's like the DP's job is still to yeah. be there to as to much as collaborate. It's, yeah, and as much yeah. as it's like. Um, I'm helping them get their vision, mm-hmm. uh, like, and actually, like, by capturing the vision, the actual image. Like, a lot of times, I think we say, "Well, they're helping." Your job is to help the director, like, get their vision to bring their vision to life. You think, "Oh, well, that means taking the camera <laughs> and filming right. this imaginary thing and making it come to life and be something real that other people can watch." That's my job, but I, I actually think it's not so much that. No, it's really that's maybe like the camera operator's job. Um, or the actual camera's job, you know, but I think it's really more being their cheerleader and getting, it's almost like the sergeant, you know, on the, you know, in the military or something like that, you know, that second in command guy who is telling, rallying all the other troops to say, hey, if the general says we need to march five miles north, then we're going to march five miles and we're going to sing while we're doing it, you know, and we're going to enjoy every single step, you know, and it's like having somebody like that would be, the most amazing gift yeah. as a director that you could ever imagine. And that will get you hired faster than having good or bad footage yeah. Yeah. Um, getting rehired. Um, so I'd, I'd say that's one thing. And I will say it's when I've DP'd, I always complain about the director. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I know it's really, really hard. Yeah. And every DP I've worked with, they always complain about me. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, I know that that's the case, but that doesn't mean that that's the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a director, you really are head. You have everyone coming and asking you questions at all points and times. You know about the most random, mundane stuff. Anywhere from 
you know, the actor doesn't want to come out of the trailer or yeah. to like, I spilled my coffee. Do you want another coffee? You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So the PAs are coming at you. The ADs are coming at you. The DPs are coming at you. So everyone's coming at you. So as a DP, if you can make the director's life as easy as possible and move as flowing and, and know that like his crew over there are good to go. Yeah. They're ready. That's perfect so yeah. yeah i mean it really is like being yeah a cheer, and, and, cheerleader. and half then, of that is execution of like making sure your people are actually ready going back to your process and don't but, have an ego but then the other half of that is having a good attitude yeah have and a making good, sure your people have exactly good attitude. because if you come on set and you go i can do this better i mean that already you're setting the whole film up to lose yep. like yep. you want to if you if feel free to flow ideas once again Communicate with your director. Learn yeah. who he is. If he's someone that doesn't like ideas, you're probably going to know that from the beginning. And like Roger Deakin, the Coen brothers know what they want. Yeah. And he is like the best DP in the world. Right. And he's okay with that. Yeah. And he's still, yeah, he he basically says, I almost kind of take a back seat and just do what they yeah. say. Yeah. Like they tell me exactly what they want and I create it for them. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of freedom to do what I want. Yeah. I do what they want. Yeah. And yeah, and like you said, he's fine with it. And he's lends some gorgeous movies because of it. Exactly. So it's like, you know, right, learn who they are and, and be cool with it, yeah. you know. And and once again, if they are someone that floats ideas or, or you're not getting them across, feel free to be like, Oh, what if we did this? The director will shut you down or he'll go along yeah. with it. There's yeah. there's really Yeah, and having that good attitude yeah. and, and that I will say too, if you gripe um, it does get back to the director. <laughs> yeah. It always does. Always. So don't think that like, oh, I'm just telling my crew or whatever. Like they're going to hear yeah. it or they'll see it from a distance. Like as much as people I think sometimes think the directors are really busy and not paying attention. Like I am very busy when I'm directing, but I'm also hyper aware of yeah. everything going on. Yeah. I'm like a mom at a birthday party. You're like a dictator. <laughs> you know, well, or like, you know, like how your mom would like see you from across the room <laughs> and you're like, how did she even know yeah. I was doing this? It's yeah. like, that's like what you are when you're the director and you're like watching the PA who's like loading the sandbags wrong and you're like, those sandbags are going to break if somebody doesn't say something. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I'm, I'm constantly aware. So when I see me say something to the DP and then the client is asking me a question I'm in mid conversation with the client and yeah. I see the DP then say something to the AC and the AC rolls their eyes I know that they just were saying that about what I just told you know like I, I'm constantly aware of yeah. all that so it's like don't think that you're getting away with it yeah. and instead be encouraging be the biggest cheerleader like your goal should make it your goal should be to get the director to look as amazing like for yeah. people to be like wow this is an amazing director whether they are or aren't your job should be to like make them seem better than they really are yeah um and then the director is trying to do that then for the whole movie and the whole crew yeah you know or if it's a client situation you know they're trying to make the agency look great like we're always trying to make the person above us look better than they are yeah. and if you do that you always get rehired yeah and you make better work yeah so um yeah. so that would be i guess a big tip there yeah, just have a good. I mean, that's just a life tip right there. Just have a good attitude, work work well with people, and you'll go far. So. Yeah. Well, there's been a long episode. There's plenty more we could talk about cinematography, oh, yeah. cameras, different types of lights, technical things, but we will save that for another day. Uh, in general, uh, you know, it's the motion pictures of wait, what is it? The Academy of Motion. Well, shoot, what is it? Sound, motion pictures and sound, right? Isn't that what the Oscars are? Uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sound? I think that's what it is. Sure. So we've covered sound, uh -huh. composing. Now we've covered the motion pictures part. Perfect. Perfect.
Whatever. All right, Ryan. Well, we'll uh, talk to you all next week. Thanks. This has been a Studio Red production. For more, go to studioredmedia.com.